0: Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell.
1: Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast. where We members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to talk about augmented reality and its trends. Joining us is Faisal Galaria, the CEO at Blipper, the leading technology and content platform specializing in augmented reality or AR Flipar is leading the way for three-dimensional digital revolution. Their SaaS tools and in-house studio are designed to empower everyone from better developers to advanced creatives and brands to create, experience, and share AR that is accessible from anywhere in this world and accessible directly in the mobile browser. And today, we're going to talk about democratization of augmented reality. Okay, here's my conversation. Please all welcome to the podcast. What's the difference between augmented and virtual reality? Hey, Doug, it's great to be here. That's a, a question that I
0: get asked very frequently. And very simply, augmented reality allows you to superimpose digital content on the actual world around you. So that could be putting a car in your driveway. It could be putting a virtual television on, on the wall in front of you or or seeing some, some virtual flowers on a table, whereas virtual reality... You put on a helmet or, or, or some visors and it subsumes you completely and takes you out of the physical world that you're in and puts you in, a, in another space by obscuring your eyes and everything around you so you're in some kind of a gaming world that has no relation to the actual world that's, that's
1: physically around you. So both have a hardware component. So we're in this land of comparison for the moment. Virtual reality obviously has a stronger hardware component But I imagine augmented reality maybe has a lighter lift. What's a typical way to think about how augmented reality might have hardware to support this world? You're entirely right. To experience
0: augmented reality, typically today you would use a AR-enabled smartphone, and there's about five billion phones now that have the native AR stack in the phone. So almost every modern smartphone either has ARKit or AR core natively in, in the phone, so you don't have to download anything new. If it's running one of those two tech stacks and has a mobile browser, then you can use AR right now without doing anything special. But of course, we're all really excited about the coming AR glasses that are being rumored from everyone from Apple bringing out new glasses to Facebook bringing out new glasses and and many of the other glasses like Nreal and Sony HTC. And of course, we're expecting that over the course of the next five to 10 years, that there'll be even more of these AR glasses around and that will take over and create a different, more always on AR experience rather than having to pull out a phone all the time.
1: Right, and I imagine that's a big part of our conversation today about democratization, right? This ability to scale technology so that it has economies of scale and therefore has a lot of commercial application. But I want to go back to, I think, this uh, zeitgeist moment when Google Glass rolled down. I think we all remember this. And people were super excited for it. And then it sort of faded away and there were these rumors of privacy and there were some rumors around the hardware software interface. So it, it sounds like at one point, That was a strong possibility that, you know, augmented reality type supporting hardware would be out there. What ended up happening? What was the trick to that? What was the challenge that kept us from all wearing Google Glass glasses now?
0: You know, I think like many great technologies and innovations, you require a number of different technology waves to come together. And in the case of Google Glass, and in fact, the genesis of of Blipper. There weren't enough of the plate tectonics coming together. What we're seeing now is the global rollout of 5G, the global rollout of and launch of AR glasses. The fact that now every smartphone, every new smartphone is AR enabled, you know, and every new smartphone, you know, has a very powerful camera, screen and, and processor means that the timing of all of these technologies that have to come together to enable AR and, and the metaverse are coming together in a way that 10 years ago when Blipper first launched and, and subsequently when Google Glass launched, it was just too early and there weren't enough of the plate tectonics coming together. But I think we're all
1: seeing that changing very rapidly now. And it is it is really actually impressive that we think, you know, almost from the monetization stance forward these days. And so that's the reason that we're having this conversation today. So I guess the question is, you have the underlying technology, meaning everybody who's walking around with a certain version, a fairly popular version of a smartphone, has it embedded. You said there's 4 billion people or so that have the access to the technology. However, we're waiting for there to be more common hardware that's out there. Is that really the tipping point when let's say, 10 million or 100 million or a billion people have accessory devices, which are something else happening along the way. I think it's the combination of these things happening together at the same time. So as I
0: said, there are 5 billion, with a B, mobile phones now that are AR compatible. But in order to go for, from a 2D world, which really you know, works on a small screen phone or a laptop, to immersive 3D so that holograms can appear in front of you. Or when you're doing shopping, rather than trying to buy a pair of sneakers or imagine some earrings, rather than making a high value purchase on a small screen in 2D, when you can try that ring or those earrings on or whether it's could be a shirt or some some makeup, when you can see try that on and see it in 3D, what we found, having done over 20,000 AR experiences over the, the last 10 years, is that engagement goes up. And our typical engagement for an AR experience is seven minutes and conversion goes up 40% versus traditional internet advertising or video. So the ROI is, when this is done properly, is very demonstrable. And it's something that we're seeing time and time again with, with clients that keep coming back to us, you know, whether that's in the FMCG space, companies like Kellogg's, whether it's in the technology space, companies like AT&T, they keep coming back and, and the increasing we're seeing budgets move from innovation budgets into mainstream marketing budgets because the ROI is just it's palpable right it's 40 percent above what they would expect for a campaign spend in, in any other format
1: so the common core use case out of the gate is going to be more in that typical fmcg zone meaning people's ability to interact with brands in a moment or in the appropriate context that creates a situation where your conversion rates go up because it's a different experience is that the idea you know, we're seeing a lot of FMCG use case of of augmented
0: reality. And that's as you'd expect, because of course, FMCG are, are very substantial advertisers. But similarly, we're seeing AR as a platform being used increasingly in gaming, education, training, product launches is an area that we're seeing increasing use of AR. It's really a platform that people can bring their own imagination to. So some of the best and most interesting ar experiences that i've seen have been in the training and medical space and in the real estate space so ar is really a tool in the same way that wordpress was a tool that allowed people to bring their own creativity and create websites in the next generation of websites which will be be 3d and immersive and not confined to a small screen augmented reality is the 3d way in which we'll will
1: experience that content. So there are many use cases outside of the commercial. I imagine the education use case is quite deep typically, but given the fact that hardware is a necessity for these experiences, how are let's say the Kellogg's of the world using augmented reality? Are these pop-up shops, are these real moments where you know they're handing out glasses or something along those lines? What's the typical way that commercial organizations using this technology?
0: I can give you an example of, of Kellogg's, given we've mentioned them. And we started working with Kellogg's in the Middle East when they were launching Cocoa Pops, the famous chocolatey cereal, to seven new countries in the, in the Middle East where Cocoa Pops not previously been consumed. And in fact, breakfast cereals per se, you know, are not commonly consumed in the GCC Arab countries. And so the idea was that you would be able to with your mobile phone, scan a QR code, and it was a stylized QR code on the box of Coco Pops. And Coco the monkey would jump out of the box into your space in your kitchen or on your, on your table. And from there, there were a number of adventures that the child could go on with Coco the monkey. One was across a Mexican Mayan experience where you could explore the Mayan pyramids, put on a, a mask, and there was an educational component to that as well, learning about Mayan history. And the other experience was learning a Bollywood dance with Coco the monkey, who would appear out of the box in your environment and teach you the, the Bollywood dance moves. And then you could go on a again on an educational experience down the Ganges and experience and discover some of the sites of India, including things like the Taj Mahal and the, and the history of the Taj Mahal. And this was an educational experience that was in your room, in your kitchen, on your on your kitchen table. And because it's browser-based, because it's mobile browser-based, there was no app download required. So one of the things that we've that we've been able to do over the last couple of years is make the AR experience spontaneous. So you just scan the QR code, and without an app download, Coco the Mo- Monkey was able to jump out of the box. And the, and for children in particular, removing the friction and not requiring a, a download or a, or a sign-in allowed them to instantaneously connect with Coco the Monkey. And for Kellogg's, not only was this a, a really great way of engaging with their would-be breakfast customers, but of course, we're able to gather a lot of data for Kellogg's, which is provided in real time. It's not like Kantar or Nielsen data, which is collected and six weeks later it's been provided. We're able to identify where the user is, which city they're in, which phone they're using, how long they engage, and what browser they have, and provide that aggregated data in real time, which had some real benefits for Kellogg's who were launching a new brand in terms of them actually re envisaging their marketing mix because we were able to identify who the real consumers of Cocoa Pops were. And unlike in Western Europe and and in North America, where everybody eats breakfast cereal, what we found actually was that in the Middle East, in these seven countries that we launched in, it was actually the most affluent part of the the demographic and the expats that were eating Kellogg's Cocoa Pops. And so rather than marketing everybody, they were able to tailor their marketing to that demographic. And of course, it also meant that we were able to substantiate that by looking at the phones that they they were using. We were also able to identify the cities in which Cocoa Pops were being consumed, and it turned out to be, as you'd expect, given the demographic, the tier one cities in these seven countries. And so essentially what happened was they are able to reposition boxes of Cocoa Pops into the Carrefour stores, which is where the most well-off demographic and the expats shop in, in these seven countries, as opposed to the mom and pop stores and the Lulu stores where everybody else shops. So we were able to provide them with not only a great, marketing, awareness-building experience, but a lot
1: of data which helped them in their own marketing and logistics as well. So you've got a real-time view into who's interacting with your brand. And as a result, the ability in the future to push, say, an offer when somebody's interacting with that brand. But given that the experience is superior to uh, maybe a more passive experience, you have higher conversions resulting from that. I wonder if there's a moment where there's an acceptance of augmented reality, and it's this trigger point. We won't know it until it happens. And then what I would relate it to is this, you know, we're currently in this place where for interaction with our favorite thing in the world right now, the internet, it's an active choice. You very rarely passively interact with the internet, right? And the exception right now are listening in. So these are the digital personal assistants, the series, the Alexa's listening in and catching keywords and going, oh, and by the way, right? So that's the only real, I think, moment right now where you know there's this passive experience the internet and people seem to really like that right now the efficacy of these algorithms in the background are not great I don't know how many times you know I've been asked to order you know cat litter (laughs) talking about our cat as an example it's not always spot on but I feel like that's really the tipping point in many ways for augmented reality which is it becomes integrated into our daily life but right now I have to actively make a decision to go interact with a brand Via augmented reality, and that's probably going to be the case for quite some time, right? In other words, I think what I'm getting to here ultimately is what is the point where it is common for people to interact with augmented reality as a part of their day to day life? And right now, we're in a place where it's something they've got to choose, and they know they're choosing augmented reality. Let me break
0: that down into two constituencies, then, Doug, because there's a constituency, you know, the the, the Gen Zs who are using augmented reality over a billion times a day already. And whether that's on, on snap or some of the other social social networks, they're using filters and lenses and, and using augmented reality already. And there's over a billion views a day on augmented reality already. Now, of course, we're not all Gen Zers, And so, for the vast majority of people, as you've pointed out, there's going to be a tipping point. And increasingly we think about, you know, when people are using AR glasses, when rather than augmented reality being something which you you experience by pulling out your phone and actively choosing to engage with it, when the information is going to be pushed to you because you have this always-on AR experience. And that's going to be really interesting because, of course, it's going to require context awareness in order for it to be a meaningful experience and and stop it being something like a a very noisy bazaar. And so the way I think about that is if I'm painting my, my walls or if I'm putting together some Ikea furniture, the context of putting together... IKEA furniture should bring up the instructions for how to put that that furniture together, as opposed to a shopping experience of of buying more IKEA bedroom furniture. Or if I'm fixing my car, the context of doing repairs to the car should bring up a, a relevant AR experience that helps me repair the car and talks me through the, you know, how do I service my car versus Comparing, let's say, you know, one engine to another engine, and trying to figure out you know, which is the faster engine. But it's it's going to bring about a contextually aware AR, which is I think going to be, you know, a big next step for us, and making it making sense of all of the information that could be
1: presented to you in an always on AR environment. Yeah, and I think that's really the tipping point, and ultimately getting to democratization. Uh, when people fully expect that augmented reality is going to be a part of their daily lives. And I, I think it was an apt comparison, pulling together an IKEA piece of furniture and repairing an engine. For anybody that's ever tried to put together IKEA furniture before, it's a fairly complex undertaking, right? And I think that's the idea, ultimately. So I want to pull back a stat here that was mentioned earlier, we kind of brushed by, and that was the fact that there are a billion augmented reality interactions Per day already so in, in fact folks this is happening around us already it is just a matter of time before that tipping point comes i have to say i've been around the block a bit and whenever i can have a guest that teaches me something it's a genuine pleasure i learned a ton about augmented reality today and thank you for joining us Be a pleasure fantastic okay that wraps up this episode of the revenue generator podcast thanks to vizal galaria ceo at blipper for joining us in part two of this interview which we're going to publish tomorrow Faisal and I are going to talk about predictions for AR adoption and monetization. If you can't wait until our next episode and would like to learn more about Faisal, it, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at Fais, F-A-I-S underscore four, or visit his company website at blipper.com. That's B-L-I-P-P-A-R.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which will answer live on our show, of course. You can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, We're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed on the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.